0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. As we open God's word, let's bow and ask God to open our hearts. Oh Lord, now in the power of your victory over sin and death, we beseech you in this moment as we open your word to bless the opening of your word. Oh Lord, make it a word of power and a word of peace. A word of power to convert those who are not yet yours, and a word of peace to conform those who are evermore to our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is James chapter 1, verse 18. And verse 18 is the conclusion to what he rolls through. So let's read from verse 12 down on through verse 18. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth, key word, death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So this week, I talked to several of you. It seems like for some reason in this season of our ministry, uh, there is more communication, more phone calls, more emails, more face-to-face discussions with those of you who are willing to come into the office and talk. But I've talked with several of you this week who are sort of breathless at the scale and speed at which our society seems to be falling apart. The whole world seems to be losing its mind. And if I could be candid without insulting you, half of the church seems to be losing its mind. What's going on? You watch the news and uh, you you see these deep divisions and this ongoing violence and these various forms of injustice going on on in large scale and in small scale. Or perhaps you turn off the news, but it's not even better in your own kitchen. Our families, subject to conflict, screaming, difficulty. What's going on and what is our problem And what is its solution? Well, you know, everything has been a problem east of Eden. Everything continues to fall apart. We want peace, but we have conflict. Our ideal is justice, but there's injustice all around us. The thing is that this word, just about any page of it, rightly understood in context, will describe what's wrong with us and the only way that it can be made right. James chapter 1 answers the question what's wrong with the world and what is the deepest need of the human race It's it's uh, not a surprise to me it's an absolute Uh, an absolute ballast to my soul that no matter what the circumstances, if my commitment, if our commitment is to a verse-by-verse exposition of God's word, God's word will meet us and the world around us right where we are and set us on a rock every time, every time. The title of our sermon this morning could be the the four words out of verse 18, the first four words. None of those words is longer than four letters. Of his own will. That's our title. Our text is verse 18. And let's let it answer three questions for us. Question one, what does this show us about what the world needs? What does verse 18 show us about what the world needs? Well, verse 18 in its context is the sort of solution to an argument and a conundrum and a problem. Picture it like this. We, we need to get in to the uh, PhD program at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We have to, we absolutely have to. Problem is we can't pass a first grade reading test. C-spot run is illegible to us. And we don't know how to do uh, subtraction and addition in our arithmetic. What's our problem? Picture it like this. It's 3 p.m. and by 5 p.m. we have to prepare from scratch a chicken marsala with an Asiago risotto on the side. And yet, we don't know how to make mac and cheese from a box in a microwave. That's our problem. Verse 18 is the conclusion to this conundrum or the solution to this problem. You could almost start in verse 12. Blessed, we want to be blessed. Is the man who remains steadfast? We want to be steadfast. For when he has stood the test, we want to stand the test. He will receive the crown of life. That's what I want. I don't want eternal death. I don't want eternal misery. I want the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I don't want to love the wrong things. I want to love the right thing, the one thing that's worthy of all honor and glory and praise and love. That's what we want. But we can't get it. Why? Because we're tempted and we're sinful and our desires, verses 13, 14, and 15, our desires lead us into death time and time again. But there is a solution. Verse 16 says, don't be deceived about the solution. Verse 17 says that every solution that's going to last has to come from God, And then verse 18 shows us where the ultimate solution is sourced of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Verse 18 is the solution to the problem. It is the only way for the problem to be fixed. What does this show us about what the world needs? What does this show us about what we need? Well, What I want you to understand from verse 18 first is that the solution shows the severity of the situation. The solution shows the severity of the situation. The solution shows the nature of the problem. Most people, I could even say all people in the world, and even some people that are in the church, do not understand what the real problem of humanity is. Most people don't understand it. We think we need a little help here and a little help there. The human, race is, the human race is famous or infamous for ignoring, denying, and eliding our deepest problems. The solution is not a tiny little tweak. The solution is a whole new life. Let's say that last week uh, you ate pizza, love to eat pizza. You want to eat pizza when it's hot. And let's say last week you took a bite of pizza that was way too hot. You burned the top of your mouth. It felt bad. So you put on your mask and went to the emergency room and saw the doctor, if they would indeed let you into the hospital. And the doctor, he or she said, looked at it and said, well, yeah, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to do reconstructive surgery on your jaw, and we're actually also going to have to reconstitute your eardrums. We're going to have to do some significant rhinoplasty because your nasal septum and your sinus cavity have been compromised. All of a sudden, from a bite of pizza, you realize this problem is a lot more serious than you thought it was. The Bible says you must be born again. You cannot fix you. Nobody gets the gospel who doesn't grasp onto that sentence. I cannot fix me. What I need is not a little tweak here and there. What I need is a whole new life. Verse 13, sin brings death. But God sent his son to die our death so that we might live. Verse 13, we continually choose deceit and death, but God, the God of truth, enrobed himself in a true human body so that he could die, so that we could live. This is the beautiful surprise of the gospel. This is the wondrous mystery of which we were singing just a few minutes ago. Oh, loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. Where we were dead, he came to give us life. Verse 12 is what we want, the blessing and the steadfastness and the crown of life and the love for God. And and, 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 and what 13 through 16 say is that every human being can never get to that on their own. And what verse 18 says is God brings that to us of his own will. The commentator, Matier, has this little paragraph describing our four words of his own will. This is one of the most glorious truths in the whole Bible. It teaches us that salvation is truly all of God. For until new life is imparted, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And as dead, we are totally unable as anything that is dead to respond to God in true faith. If anything is to be done, God must do it. If any agency is to be at work, it must be an agency other than ours, for we are dead. Here is the greatness of divine mercy, the sufficiency of divine strength, the depth of divine condescension. All the work from initial choice to completed deed is his, and so is all the glory. This truth is all over the Bible. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1, 12 and 13. Ephesians 2. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast the wording of James 1:18 is puts of his own will in the emphatic spot in the sentence it means having made his own decision God does his own thing and rescues us verse 18 is saying that behind our choice of him is his choice of us and verse 18 is saying apart from from his grace, apart from his initiating love, we would never have been saved. The elderly uh, commentator Lorraine Bettner says uh, it is the nature of the case that the first movement towards salvation can no more come from man than if a body is dead, a movement can originate in that body. Then he says this, Regeneration is the sovereign gift of God, graciously bestowed by God. For this great recreative work, God alone is competent. I like that last sentence. For this great recreative work, God alone is competent. That puts this senior pastor in his place. I ain't able to fix anybody. I can bring the word of truth. I can bring the word of truth, but only God is competent for this regenerating work. We say it like this. In regeneration, in regeneration, the soul is the subject, not the agent of the change. The soul is not the one doing the changing. The soul is the subject, not the agent of the change. The illustration here is of the blind or the lame who came to Jesus Christ. Well, They they may have undergone much labor to get into the presence of Jesus or their friends may have brought them to the presence of Jesus. And after he healed them, they went away leaping and praising God. But in that moment of healing, they were the subject, not the agent of the healing change. What does this show us about what our world needs? It shows us that we don't need a little tweak. We need a whole new life How about a second question? What does this show us about God, his love and his will? What does it show us about the world first? Well, what does it show us about God and his love and his will? It says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. It says in verse 17, that every good and every perfect gift is from above. When verse 18 says it is of his own will, It means the cause, the cause is not in the deserving of the receiver. The cause is in the designing of the giver. The cause is not in the deserving of the receiver, but in the designing of the giver. Not in the goodness of the one receiving, but in the kindness and generosity of the one giving the ultimate cause of our regeneration, the ultimate cause of our salvation. Somebody would say it's a mystery. It's not really a mystery. It is revealed in four words, none of which are longer than four letters, of his own will. There's a lot behind God's will that admittedly is a mystery to us, but the ultimate cause of our regeneration is the will of God. Oh, how the grace of God amazes me, loosed me from my chains and set me free. The old hymn writer says, oh, how the grace of God amazes me, loosed me from my chains and set me free. Then the hymn writer asks this question in the middle of the hymn, what made it happen so? His own will, this much I know, hath set me now at liberty. Ephesians 1, the good pleasure of his will, the good pleasure of his will, the good pleasure of his will. The will of God is sourced in God which means that the love of God is is unconditional. It means the love of God is actually, if I could teach you a word, uninfluenced. It sounds strange, but that's great, great, great news. In other words, the love of God is uncaused or the love of God is uninfluenced. You see, in order to see the love of God as uninfluenced or uncaused by any other cause outside of God himself, we, it's, it seems strange, but it's easy to understand it because we all understand performative, conditional, earned love. We've all understood what it means to be in a contest and to win. A beauty contest or some reality program where the contestants have to do this or that or the other thing and they receive ratings. This is, a, this is an accolade or a love that is earned. But when we say the love of God is uninfluenced, what we mean is there's nothing in the objects of God's love that kind of forces God to love them. In fact, in our context, uh, what verse 14 and 15 say about the humans that God chooses to love is not very flattering and not very lovely. The only reason why God loves is found in the sovereign will of God. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, it's like one of these passages that tries to say, well, we know that God chose Israel, but what was behind that? What prompted God to to choose Israel and not Egypt or whatever? In Deuteronomy 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you, he loved you. What a verse! What a head-scratcher. God, tell me why you chose to choose Israel. Okay, I'll tell you. Because I loved Israel, I loved Israel. Well, God, the, what? Well, we're inside of the will of God, and we, can, we can't get inside of the will of God. We can, only, we can only understand it as he's revealed it to us. You know this verse? God is love. That's what 1 John says. God is love. Love of God is uncaused by anything outside of God. The love of God is uninfluenced by anything outside of God. God is love. That is great news. Just imagine if 1 John said this, oh, my beloved children, here is good news. You have managed to be just attractive enough and just lovable enough and just desirable enough to cause God to love you. This would be horrific news because the eternal salvation of my soul would rest on my ability to keep myself just spiffy enough to get God to look my way. That's horrific. But the, but the, but the good news, blessed be the name of God, is that the spirit of God says God is love, and the doctrine of God's love shows us that the love of God is uninfluenced and uncaused by anything outside of the sovereign, merciful, eternal, inexplicable uh, 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 unfathomable heart of God. This is good news. Oh, and God, you have a friend who loves you because he loves you. No other reason but that he loves you. You say, God, why why do you love me? God says, I love you because I love you. And instead of becoming a frustrating answer to my question, that's the greatest answer I could imagine because it doesn't rest on me being me. I have found a friend. Oh, such a friend. He loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love and thus he bound me to him and round my heart still closely twined those ties which naught can sever for I am his. and He is mine forever and forever. This shows us such a wonderful truth about the love and will of God. And then finally, a third question. This is for all of you what abouters? Third question. What about human will, human choice? Is election fair? All these questions. What about human will, human choice, election, responsibility? Well, I'm smart enough to leave this question to the fact where I got four minutes left in the sermon so I can just sidestep. No, I'm just kidding. I got a a solid, probably four and a half feet of shelf space in my library about Calvinism, election, human responsibility, Arminianism, divine sovereignty. Um, How does it all work out? Well, uh, if I remember, I'll put this up on the church website or church Facebook uh, because you're not going to be able to write it. Westminster Confession of Faith answers it answered a, a, quite a while ago and I can't really improve on their answer God from all eternity did by his most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass yet yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin nor is violence offered to the will of any of God's creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of secondary causes taken away, but rather is established by the sovereignty of God. Westminster divines are simply saying that God is sovereign and in control, and human responsibility is actually anchored in that fact. It's not compromised or sort of obliterated by that fact. I've had many people over the years tell me, and you know, I, the back of my teeth kind of hurts when they say this. <laughs> I'm not trying to become your enemy if you're one who has said this to me. I still love you. But I've had a lot of people over the years tell me, I have a problem with that verse. Specifically Romans 9. I have a problem with that verse. Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. Romans 9. God has mercy on whom he will have mercy and God hardens whom he will harden. I may not be able to answer the problems that you have with that verse, but all I can tell you with a a half of a smile and with a warm heart toward you as one uh, person who wants to be your friend to another, all I can tell you is this. I assure you, Whatever so-called problems you have with that verse will disappear when you see God. I don't mean that. I, I'm, I don't mean that as a dunk. <laughs> I don't mean that to shut you up. I mean that because God's God. And we both need to know when to place our hand on our mouth and say, um, I am made of dust, and you loved me anyway when we see God and we fall on our face and worship him, when we get where we're going, ain't nobody going to be arguing with God. (laughs) Ain't nobody going to be squabbling. Well, was salvation really fair? So can I just say, rather than answer all of your questions now, and some of those books have pretty good answers to those questions, can I just invite you to get, to that spot of worship and adoration now, it's a lot happier place to live than a place that demands my specific ABCs from God who doesn't owe me nothing. Just worship God. You know, I think kind of here we can look to Jesus. Again, without going into even all the inexplicable details in the passage, Jesus... Uh, talked about the sovereign electing purpose of God in uh, Matthew 11, and what comforts me is that we're talking about Jesus, the the Nazarene, Jesus the Man of Galilee, who had ten toes on his feet, just like you do. In other words, Jesus wasn't talking about election from from uh, his position before the etern- before the worlds began. He, he was looking at the crowd in, in Matthew 11 when he said, all you who are weary, come to me and I won't cast you out. And he talks about the electing purpose of God. And he says, he, he says in Matthew eleven twenty six, 26, oh, Father, you have hidden these things from the wise and you have revealed these things to the children. And then it says in Matthew eleven twenty six, 26, the ESV translates it. Oh, Father, you have hidden these things from the wise. You have revealed these things to the children. For such was your gracious will. That's what Jesus says. For such was your gracious will. I prefer the old KJV. Jesus says, even so, Father, because it pleased Thee. When Jesus, as a man with dust on his feet, talks about God's choice in salvation, he ends the sentence by saying, even so, Father, because it pleased thee. Because it's God's will. Can't we as frail human creatures say, well, we're done here. We're done here. If it's good enough for God, that's enough. when we get wrapped up about humanity and free will, if I could leave you with one more thing to think about, if you want to argue about this, not with me, my phone's going to be off, but if you want to argue about this at lunch with whoever you go to lunch with, my father's day present is a three hour nap. That's what I'm getting. But, but one thing to leave you to talk about, if you want to talk about free will, ask the question, what is the enemy of humanity's free will? I guarantee you, it's not the grace of God. James 1, 13, 14, and 15, says the enemy of humanity's free will is sin. It is the sovereign grace of God that sets humanity free from enslavement to sin. Dear one, the gravest enemy of your free will is certainly not the God of the Bible. The gravest enemy of your will is most certainly the sin which enslaves and deadens you. And to be born again is to be released from the deadness and the bondage of sin into the free will that belongs gloriously to the children of Almighty God. This is the gospel. If this is the gospel, then how... Could we leave here with anything but a, a, a generous sharing of this good news with everyone everywhere because there are no qualifiers, no markers, no earning, no limitation. And before we leave, how could we not close by, but by praising almighty God for his great love for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your word has been opened, now, by the very living seed of the word of God, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For the sake of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has so loved us, Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.